Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, good morning. It's good to have you guys here again this morning. It's good to be here with you. We are continuing our series on the Beatitudes. And this week we are going to be looking at Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. This is the only time in Scripture where this word peacemakers shows up. And so it's very important to understand it, I think, correctly. I'm going to be talking about the neighbor's dog barking, what is Anja de Peep, premarital counseling, and a conference in La Paz. You guys ready? Okay, let's do this. I have a neighbor who has dogs. And the dogs bark. They have about four different dogs. And so there's a chorus of barking, right? They have a variety. They have the little yapping. They have the deeper barking. But it'll happen for whatever reason at whatever time. Who knows? It could be, you know, a possum in the yard, a cat. It could be they're just playing with each other. But in the middle of the night or three in the morning or five in the morning, the dogs will start barking just in in different, you know, varieties. And since it's been warm, our windows are open, which allows us a good uh, reception, you know, for the dogs. It allows the, it to come in loud and clear. And a lot of times, you know, they'll be barking now. Confession. Okay. What I had done before, and this was years ago, I had an air horn, right? The kind you get at the basketball games, the loud ones. And when the dogs would start barking at like four in the morning, I would go out in the backyard and over the fence, I'd go, bam, real loud with the air horn and walk back in. And it would work. It did probably left a little puddle wherever they were. It just, it worked, stop that. But I haven't done that in years. And so I'm inside and I hear the dogs barking and then they'll stop, right? And they stop and you think, ah, right? And so many times our idea of peace is that, right? The, The lack of the commotion, the quietness. But what Jesus is talking about isn't that. It isn't a passive peace. It's actually something that's active. It's assertive, right? It's not keeping peace. It's making peace. And the idea of asserting peace seems contradictory. It doesn't seem like you don't assert peace, right? It's like we're going through the book of Revelation and there are these Phrases that come out like the wrath of the lamb, 
And you think, what does that look like? You know, when a lamb is angry, what does it do? Does it skip around and butt in, you know, with its head? I mean, what is these things? And there's this contradiction that is taking place about making peace. And how do you make or assert peace? But it's important that we understand that. Because another place in Matthew, Jesus said this. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He goes on and says, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He didn't mention grandchildren, so we're good. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It seems in drastic contrast. He's telling us to make peace and he's telling us that he didn't come to bring peace. How do we bring these together? We cannot reconcile these two passages without recognizing that what Jesus is doing is establishing a whole new social order. In other words, for there to be the peace that he wants to make, there first has to be a rejection of the order that is in existence. And the contrast of loving father, mother, sister, brothers, children, or yes, even grandchildren more than me, is to exemplify what he is trying to point to. There is a new system where the things that are most precious to you cannot be what is most important to you. That there has to be something that is more important that supersedes what is already important because we will never make peace until this order is changed, which is actually an alternative to our political, economical, social, and religious systems that we have and that there was taking place at the time. And it's real important to recognize this. He called it the reign or the kingdom of God, right? And it is the foundation of the Beatitudes, the foundation of most of his parables and his teaching. It is the heart of his ministry, and it's also why he was killed. And it's important for us to recognize that, that Jesus was arrested and killed for his worldview, not for his God view. And he willingly went towards it. He did say, no one takes my life, I lay it down. But it wasn't because, oh, Jesus believed he was God. It was because Jesus believed that there was a kingdom that need to replace the kingdom's the religious kingdoms that the Jewish leaders had, the kingdom that the Romans asserted, there was another kingdom that he was here to usher in. And so that is what pushed the powers that be at that time to the crucifixion. It was after the temptation in the wilderness and after John the Baptist was arrested that Jesus made this statement from that time on jesus began to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near 
You need to change how you see things. Because God's kingdom, and we've talked about this, is near means it's knocking, it is present. It is seconds away. It is happening and is going to continue to happen. See, the center point of, that Jesus is making is that this new kingdom or new world order is going to change things. And how it changes it is important. We used to have a huge feast at my grandmother's house. Every Christmas, it would be an incredible feast, seven different kinds of fish. It was amazing. I've talked about it before. I I weep every now and then when I talk about it. It's just so amazing. There was one year she surprised us all, and she came out with this dessert. And it was called Anja de Peep. Some of you may know what it is. Others of you... It will be as curious as it was to us. And she put this dessert and she said, you don't know what it is. I'm not going to tell you. You have to figure it out. And so we were eating it and it's delicious and it's a dessert and it's cool. And it's kind of like a tapioca rice pudding, but better. And it's just hard to distinguish this texture. And what Anja de Peep is, is these tiny little like peppercorn-sized noodles. It's pasta, but it's chilled pasta. And it's mixed with some marshmallows and some, I don't know what else, goodness, right, and love. It's got some uh, mandarin oranges in there and I think eggs and sugar, I'm sure. But it's lovely. It's just amazing. But it did not taste like noodles. You didn't expect pasta to be a dessert, but it is, at least in my grandmother's hands, it was, right? It was amazing. And so there we were introduced to Anja de Peep, something that we didn't expect, something that we don't expect pasta to be, here it was. And you see, this new world order that Jesus is bringing in, this kingdom of God is not a philosophical system. It's not a theory to be proven or an energy to be discussed or controlled like so many times people try to do with God. But it is, in fact, a person. It is a loving person that Jesus called his father. And so this is different than what they were used to. It is different than what we are used to. He is talking about a kingdom that is not fitting the molds. It is actually this relationship. Jesus believes that God is a person to be imitated, to be enjoyed, to be loved, as opposed to a religious culture, which is always using God for cultural purposes, to control, to shape, or to manipulate. The son can only do, he said, what the Father, he sees the Father doing. I only speak what I hear the Father telling me. You see, it was this relationship with his Father that moved him to say and do the things that he did to usher in this new reign, this new kingdom. So what does this have to do with being peacemakers or even bringing a sword. You see, societies have been built on segregation. There's us and there's them. 
and, and there's the dividing line. Even in relationships between people, there's me and there's you. If you have children and have more than one, you know that there is a line in the back seat that is not supposed to be crossed, right? They're on my side, right? And you have to understand respect. This is my side, that's your side. And sometimes it happens in rooms too, right? They're on my side of the room. And there's that kind of conflict that is taking place. It seems to begin even with Cain and Abel, where Cain is feeling unworthy and loved by God simply because God had favor with Abel. Because God had favor with Abel, it put Cain in a mindset that had to eliminate the competition. The mindset is that the enemy or this evil this person must always be vilified so that I can be considered worthy, loved, moral, right. Another group, another nationality, another religion has to be named wrong so that I, my group, can be named right. It, it is how we do that. It's amazing with kids. You know, when you have, again, more than one kid, the way they make themselves feel good is by putting their brother or sister down. Look what they did. I didn't do that. Right? And all of a sudden, I'm in a good place. Why? Because they're in a bad place. It's this comparison, this mentality that look at them, now look at me. And it's something that takes place throughout religion, throughout culture, in our religious denominations. We have so many things that define who we are. We do it by our names. You know, I had our first communion or catechism. You know, we have that, you don't. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit and speak with tongues, you don't. We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you don't. We baptize in the name of Jesus. We say the sinner's prayer. All these things we start to identify, well, did they do this? Well, then they're not of us. And we start to make these kinds of distinctions because really there's the insecurity in us that seems to need an enemy to scape the goats so that we can feel superior, so that we can feel, in a sense, saved. There's the world and there's us, right? And we name these things because it brings the separation in a clear view to us. And these false gods, any system or belief outside of this true God, by definition, must be appeased. It has to be sacrificed to in some way. Cain killed his brother to appease this in him that his brother was accepted and he wasn't and he had to change that and that's the way he did it. The true God needs nothing. The true God invites us to his table and into this unthinkable communion. Father Richard Rohr said that to understand the goal of peacemaking, we need to understand God and what his kingdom looks like. God is one and for all. God is sovereign to any group ownership or personal manipulation. He can't be owned by, controlled by any group, any political system, any religious system. 
God is available as free gift and not through sacrificing another. God needs no victim and creates no victims. You see, the place we have to start in when we're talking about making peace is a place where we find ourselves in, in a world where we find ourselves in, that is in opposition because we feel that we need to be in order to be right. And so we start making these lists of what has to happen so that you can be right. There's books on this, Essential Christianity. Right? What are the essentials? What do you have to believe to be a Christian? Do you have to believe in creationism? Do you have to believe that the Bible is inerrant? Do you have to believe in the virgin birth? Do you have to believe? And, and you can go on the list over and over, and it's like, where do you draw the lines? These are yes, and if you don't believe this, well, what if you don't believe this one thing, but you believe all these other things? Are you in or are you out? And who's making this list? Who's deciding this? You see, there's this pressure that we feel, but when we look at Jesus, we don't see this need for sacrifice to appease, right? When we look at Jesus, what we see clearly is the things that he professes and the things that he defends, such as who God is. And Jesus makes the point clear when he quotes Hosea. And he says in Matthew nine thirteen, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What do you desire in an area of contention? Is it mercy? Or is it to be right? What do we desire? To win somebody over? Or to have God's mercy on that person? Jesus also said, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Let's just pause and think about that. The prostitutes and tax collectors are thieves, right? That would be our modern translation or equivalent, embezzlers. They're entering this kingdom before you. How do you say that? What are you thinking? Why is this happening? You see, if the system that you're living in is broken, then those who are outside the system are at a significant advantage. They're not part of this organized structure that is trying to control, trying to push an agenda. They are the ones who are marginalized. And so because they are not entangled with the system that is making these rules, holding these segregated people in place, then outside of the system, they are actually closer to this kingdom that God is establishing because what he wants to do is undo the system that is in control of these things. And I know 
that that is a terrifying thought to us. Because these systems bring security. These systems is where we gather together and plant our flag and say, this is us. And it could be we are born again Christians. It could be we are Americans. It could be we are, you know, Republicans. We are Democrats. It could be you list. The list is go on and on. And these things that we put in place are to help us feel more secure. And they do. And then Jesus says, well, the prostitutes and the embezzlers are closer to the kingdom of God than all these other people. And you say, wait a second. I'm paying my taxes. I'm doing the right things. I'm not doing the things that a prostitute does. I should be closer to the kingdom of God. How can this be? Unless there is something we are trying to be in first. Someone you love more than Father, mother, sister, brother, children, country, religion, more than me. You see, it's not a system. It's a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And you can't segregate who the Father loves. Our kids try, right? Who do you love more? You're all my kids. I don't love you more or less. Right now you're bothering me, but I still love you. My daughter had an engagement party when she was engaged. I shared with that you guys about a month ago or so. And at the party were some friends of hers and ours that I had counseled before they got married, the premarital counseling. And they were talking to us. And even last night, Karina and I met with a couple who was going to be getting married next month, and we were counseling with them at dinner. And what I said to the first couple, I I remembered, and I said it again, because it's really an important thing. And she told me, she says, you know, one of the things you said in our premarital counseling has helped us so much. You always like hearing stuff like that. It's like, well, that's something stuck, right? And she said, one of the things you said is, is it's more important to be kind than it is to be right. And I shared that again last night with the couple that we were talking to. You see, we have built a religion on God wants the right beliefs. God wants the right Morality. God wants holiness. But Jesus says that God wants mercy. You see, if the prostitute is getting into the kingdom before these religious people and all these other people, then we start to see what God really wants is mercy. It's not a morality that lives up to a certain Puritan standard. God wants mercy. Jesus says later on in Matthew 5, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God's not discriminating who is getting the blessings. The righteous and the unrighteous both enjoy the same reign. See, we will not 
turn away from what seems like the only game in town. And it could be, again, the social order that we're in, the the political or economical order that we're in, or even the religious denomination we're in. We won't turn away from that if that seems to us like the only right thing, unless we get a glimpse of something that's more attractive, something that resonates more with us, something that helps us to see different. The changes that have taken place within me and my faith have been when my faith has been too small for the world I'm living in. When, when the things that I believe don't line up with the world I see, when the God who Jesus represents isn't lining up with the things I say I believe, then I have to see something different. And when I see something that's more beautiful, more attractive, then it wins me over. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the example. He is the living parable. He is our audio-visual icon of what this relationship looks like, what this kingdom looks like, what this father looks like, what this more attractive kingdom looks like. And we can't even imagine it, much less imitate it, unless we see a human being doing it first. And that's what we see. I'm one of those visual learners, right? I, 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 I can read things and I don't process. You guys know those airborne tablets? You take the original ones that weren't chewable, just the ones you drop in water. I picked up a tab of those once and I opened it because Corrine said, who you should take these so you don't get sick. I took, and I'm looking at the directions, and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just looking at the directions, and then all of a sudden I take one and I pop it in my mouth. All right? Why? Because I don't read directions. I, I need to see someone drop it into. I just read the directions, but they didn't connect to me. But if I was seeing someone drop it in the water, I would have said, oh, that makes sense. Which it does. You see, we have to see this, and Jesus is living it out. We want to see this so that we can then imitate him. And Jesus has forever changed the human imagination. And we are now both burdened and gladdened by the new possibility of this kingdom. We are burdened because it is requiring a relationship with us that takes us outside of the comforts that we enjoy. See, the Roman Empire was vast and was powerful more than any other empire at the time or maybe even the world. Maybe the U.S. has now replaced that. And in the center of Rome, they enjoyed peace. There was nothing going on, conflicts happening there, but all around them, there was still war, there was still conflict. They were just not having to deal with it. I forget how many conflicts there are in the world today. I think there's 22 different countries that are in war today in our time. Over a hundred and something conflicts that are taking place. Yet we can sit here and feel like it's peaceful. 
Why? Because we are not being affected. And then the burden of Christ says, you are to be a peacemaker and you need to carry this kingdom message that's going to maybe disrupt some of the other messages that are out there. But then it is filled also with hope because, wow, this really is good news. That there is something better than the best things we can construct. You see, there is something worth loving more than father, mother, children. There is a love that actually helps put those loves into the proper place. There is a kingdom that puts every other kingdom into order. But if this one is not in place, none of the others will be in place And anyone that tries to assert themselves to be that kingdom is missing the mark. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, For he, speaking of Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two. I love that. This making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. To reconcile means to change from enemies to friends. I love that, right? He has made from enemies to friends, both of them. Now he's talking here about the Jews and their culture and the rest of the world, right? Because there was the Jewish culture that was the center from where this faith came. And then there was the Gentile or the rest of the world. And Paul is saying Jesus came and on the cross made them one humanity, and made what were once enemies now friends. Well, they weren't friends. They were still enemies. Their socioeconomic religious societies were still divided as could be. And here comes Jesus and saying, no, there's a new relationship. And it is this relationship with God that makes us all one. And it is based on love and self-sacrifice. And they killed him. Because so many people were buying into this. You see, it would mean nothing if people said, oh, that's great. And and there was, you know, 20 people who said, yeah, let's go for Jesus. But when thousands upon thousands hear this message and inside them, it resonates that this is what peace looks like. This is what a real kingdom looks like. This is what a real relationship with God looks like, where there is no Jew, there is no gentle. Paul would go longer, further and say, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no male, there's no female. There is one in Christ. Oh my gosh, what are you saying? You're destroying all our structures of control. The Romans control the the Jews. The men control the women. The free control the slaves and now they're one. You can't do that. And he says, I just did. I did by being the example. I did by showing you what it looks like. And yet we 
want to distinguish these things. We want to build up barriers to protect our identities, to protect ourselves. I think it was three years ago I did a conference in La Paz. And as I was traveling down there with a couple of friends, they lost our luggage. We had a stop in Guadalajara. Our luggage stayed there, I guess. And then we went to La Paz. We missed the flight because one flight was delayed. And so it was like a long trip. And we finally got to La Paz, but our suitcases didn't. And so I'm wearing the same things I wore on the plane, had a pair of shorts and like a T-shirt and, you know, some tennis shoes. And then I'm going that afternoon to speak at a conference at a Baptist church that's pretty conservative. And here I am, you know, okay. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll have to go somewhere, a Walmart or something, buy some clothes so I can go in and not, you know, be hanging out in my shorts there. And then our luggage got there before we went, and so I was able to put my clothes on that I was going to wear for the conference. I went there, and at the time of the conference, we were talking, and I had a time of asking questions. And one of the elders of the church said, don't you think it's important? Because even though I had my clothes on, I was dressed kind of like I am now. You know, I had long pants, I had a button shirt, but they all had suits and ties, right? And so now, if you come here in a suit and tie, we either know you're Michael Turner or, <laughs> or else you're, you know, a tie is just a guest ribbon, you know? What are you doing here? What's going on? But they all had suit and ties. And the, the elder said, don't you think it's important to respect God and dress nice when you come to church? I said, no. Um, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I told him the story. I go, I got here this morning and didn't have anything but the clothes that came here. What if I came and that's all I had? Would I not be able to come to this church and worship God because my clothes were lost by, you know, the airlines? Does God prevent me from coming in here because of a mistake that someone made? What if this is all I have to wear? Are you going to restrict me from coming because this is what I'm limited to? Isn't that what Jesus got upset about when he overthrew the tables because people were making obstacles, barriers for people to get to God? And you see, it it sounded nice. Yeah, you want to give God your best. But all it's doing is putting up a barrier. Right? Someone comes in and everyone's here with suit and ties and they're not. They think we're all weird. Right? It's 100 degrees outside. What are you guys doing? Right? What's happening? It's a barrier. Well, we, this is how we honor God. Is that helping or hurting? And we have to think, what is a barrier that is keeping someone from coming to God? And can it be removed? See, peacekeepers will do what they can to remove those walls, to overturn those tables. Peacekeepers will remove the barriers that keep people from getting the mercy that God wants to give. And so, now prostitutes, tax collectors are coming in to the temple? That doesn't seem right unless everything's changed. And that's the point.
everything has changed. Jesus wants everything to change. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 15, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The Good News Bible says, Through Christ changed us from enemies into friends and gave us the task of making others his friends also. It is your task to make people friends with God. And what God wants is mercy. How hard is that? I want you to know God who wants to show mercy. Or as soon as you stop doing this, living like that, saying and believing this, then you can come and I can make you friends with God. It's not how it works. There's not those requirements. That's not how we make peace. And you see, we have to deal with our reactions. Right? When I hear that Kim Jong-un, the supreme leader in North Korea, has a nuclear warhead that can reach the United States, my knee-jerk reaction, just to be honest with you, is sometimes, well, maybe we ought to hit them first before they hit us, right? Anyone else feel the same? Like, yeah, America, right? You start just thinking these things. But, oh my gosh, they are the enemy. They are the evil. They are the them versus the us. We are the good. They are the bad, which, by the way, is exactly what they're saying. If I can be turned from peace to war so quickly, what hope do I have of being a peacemaker? There are people in South Korea who are trying to bring about a unification of, the, of Korea because they have family in North Korea, just like Germany. And they're wanting relationship. Now, it's not going to happen politically. And I don't know what to say about that, right? It's not something that happens politically. It's a different change of system. See, but until I see the goal not as securing my position in safety, but living in relationship with the Heavenly Father then making peace is impossible. But if I see it as developing a relationship with the Heavenly Father, then it becomes possible between two people. And that's exactly what Christianity did in the Roman Empire that was persecuting Christians like no other. And instead of rising up and we're going to, you know, storm the castle or whatever they have in Rome, they said, we're going to love we're going to take Jesus' example and we're going to continue it. And it changed the hearts of the people so that it didn't matter how many people they killed, they won. But I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to die. I don't want to give my life. See, the truth is, I love my life a little bit too much to give it to that cause. 
And that's the struggle. Paul said in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Think about that before you put your next Facebook post up. Think about that before you start engaging in that conversation, whether it be religious, political, whatever. As much as lies within you, if it's possible by you, live at peace. Doesn't mean you can't disagree. But what are you trying to convey? Is it going to be kindness, goodness, or is it be right? We don't only make peace between others and with our enemies. We make peace anywhere and everywhere in the hearts of people who are stricken with grief, the hearts of families that are struggling, in the hearts of a friend who's suffering from depression, in the heart of an obnoxious coworker. We bring and make peace in these areas. Paul later says in Romans, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Is that our goal? Is that what we're doing? You see, Jesus taught us to make peace even before we worship. He says in Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, They're mad at you for some reason, some stupid thing that they think you did and you didn't do it and I wasn't wrong and there's no reason I should have to tell them I'm sorry because I'm not the one in the wrong here. Okay, that's who it's talking to, right? They have something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gifts. God's saying, if you aren't right with them, don't come before me. Why? Because this kingdom, this new reign, this is what it looks like. It's a sacrifice. It's giving of itself. It's changing its nature. It's changing the name of who you are. And you're now naming yourself Christian. That means be like me. This is how I acted towards you. This is how you are to act towards one another. When I was adopted... I was given a new birth certificate with a new name as if that's who I was all along, right? If you look on my birth certificate, it says Scotty. That wasn't my original name. I'm not going to tell you my original. That's a guess, right? As far as the powers that be know, my name is Scotty and it shows on my birth certificate. All those years before I was adopted, I was someone else, but now I am and have always been this. This is now my identity. This is supposed to be who I am, who we are. What's interesting here is that Jesus didn't say peacemakers would be called sons of peace. He said they would be called sons of God. You see, it was traditional when someone was named a son of, they were given a name in connection with whatever they're doing, right? The sons of thunder, like because of their attitude or sons of Gath, the place that they lived. But he's not saying sons of peace. He's saying sons of God. Jesus shares with us his unique relationship to the heavenly father. He includes us in that. 
that relationship that he is and that he has, and now he gives us that relationship. You will be called sons of God. The DNA of God is a peacemaker, and it will be seen in you, and you will have that identity. This is the peace that is found in Jesus. His peace becomes our peace. John writes and says, peace I leave with you. This is Jesus speaking. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why does he say do not be troubled, do not be afraid when he's talking about giving you peace? Because this peace is like a sword that changes everything in your life. It divides the loyalties that we have and puts God up in the prime spot and it changes how we interact with people and it is uncomfortable and Jesus is about to leave and he's leaving these words with his followers and saying don't be afraid follow this is the way that you are to follow it is only when his peace rules our hearts that we can make peace because it is a different peace It's not a peace that's based on the securities we build up or the exclusions we make. It's a peace on the inclusions that we give. We are peacemakers because Jesus shares with us not only his relationship with the Father, with all the privileges and inheritance that is his, but he also shares with us the chores and the responsibilities of carrying this message So Paul would write, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Make peace with God. Become the friend of God. We make peace even as Christ made peace, and it is a living sacrifice. You people, we got to get past this place where we say, this is it. We're going to change, and we're going to start a revolution. This is the change that we're going to make, and it's by power, and it's by might that we're going to do this. This is how Jesus makes change. This is the revolution that we have signed up for if we call ourselves Christian. It is sacrificial living. We will make peace as much as possible with anybody, and what God does desires is mercy and that is what we are going to give because that's what he looks like that's what we need to look like we want to start a revolution of love we want to change the world order as it is but i don't want another one i don't want another president i don't want another cabinet i don't want the right judges i want the love of god to rule in my heart and the hearts of people so that it can actually make a lasting change because it cannot be made any other way if we are going to change our world it is going to be by being peacemakers and proclaiming the heavenly father and the love and mercy he has for every person and allowing god to change their hearts as he's changed ours let's pray father this is a challenge as much as it is a promise You say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they they will be called the children, the sons of God. But Lord, that road is difficult. Just like it is to be poor in spirit or to mourn or to be meek. None of these things 
are easy, but what they are is outside of the systems of control that allow us to be more influenced by you. And so, God, I pray that we, as your followers, will take it upon ourselves that as much as possible, we would live at peace with all people, that we would do what we can to bring peace to people and you, that we would remove the barriers, the boundaries, the walls, anything that can be torn down to help people get to you. Lord, may we tear them down. May we see that what really matters is your mercy extended, your goodness, your grace. And may we be a signpost to everyone around us that peace is found here. It's found at the cross. It is found in the person of Christ. It is found in you, a peace that you give that's not like the world gives. And you give it freely. We don't have to work our way to get it. We don't have to join to get it. It is there, found in you. So God, may we above all else lead people to you. May we ourselves love you more than we love country, religion, father, mother, children. May you be the driving force of our lives. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. May you recognize that the peace God offers to you is outside of the systems that we live in, that he's wanting an overturning of our lives, that he's wanting a rebellion, not of violence, but of love and of mercy. May you, as much as is within you, make peace with those around you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.